The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and this is the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LifeScore. On the show today, how hard is it to manage Newcastle United on this game? Some people <clears throat> are having more problems than others. But what can we learn from the real thing? We're going to be speaking to someone who knows that football club inside out. Also on the show, what's football manager like for the absolute beginner? Holly Percival will be talking us through her own harrowing experience at Aston Villa. We're off to Sweden for live scores more than a score. And we've got all your letters. But first... So, you know how it is when you've been managing a club for a while and suddenly there's a takeover. You've got new owners. You need to put a trophy in the cabinet quickly before they replace you with Paolo Fonseca. Well, the Football Manager Show has been nominated for Best Esports Podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards. And this is marvellous. We never win anything because we always slip between categories. And those cowards at the Royal Horticultural Society haven't got the stones to face us in open combat. But now's our chance. If you go to my Twitter page, that's Ian underscore games, you'll find the link pinned to the top because we're going for this. We're not too proud to beg. It takes about 30 seconds, which is, you know, it's a bit more than just a one button click. But look, if we go the extra mile and do it and their people don't, uh, we got this thing sewn up. So let's go out there and win this thing. Because let's be honest, it'll be the first trophy I've won in connection with Football Manager since the Champions League with Arsenal on FM17. Chris Woff from The Athletic. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on. How's it going? It's going really well. Um, you know, despite the, this beard and general dishevelled look that makes it seem like everything is a cry for help, it, it's all right. You've had a busy day, haven't you? Because we're talking to you at lunchtime on Wednesday, January the 12th. You've been digging into this Chris Wood thing. Yes, Newcastle United are close to making their second signing of the January window. Chris Wood is on Tyneside. He's undergoing part of his medical. And it's a very, very strange deal all around. There's been a lot of reports about him having a release clause, which he does, but it's unclear whether Newcastle have actually met that release clause. Very difficult to get at the bottom of it because some sources are saying they have, some sources are saying they haven't. They haven't. It's it's obviously in the interest of both clubs to present a different picture of this. Newcastle want to make as they, they probably do have met the clause because then they say they have to that price Burnley may be alternative. So it's a very, very strange one. And it's also been described to me as by someone as almost being a psychological move as, any, as much as anything else. Newcastle are strengthening themselves, weakening a direct rival in the process. And yeah, really just trying to put Burnley on the back front and then have to go and find a striker now, whereas Newcastle were the ones who, as of 24 hours ago, were looking in desperate shape up front. So in other words, just another day in the life of a Newcastle United correspondent. Yes, almost certainly, yeah. Yes, I thought that after the takeover, things would become normal, but no, they've become anything but. It's just very different chaotic, but yes, still still very chaotic. So back in the day, I was a peripatetic football writer just 
drifting around the country, different ground every week. I lived in Shields for a bit, and I have been in St. James's Park when it's been amazing. I was there when Alan Pardew's briefly brilliant side won 3-0 against Manchester United, and you've, you've never heard a noise quite like it. But it hasn't really been like that for a while, has it? No, certainly over the course of the last four or five years, or particularly the last couple of years, during the final couple of years of Mike Ashley's time as owner, it apathy had started to take charge in a lot of way. I mean, it, there'd been anger for a long while, and that had kept the atmosphere sort of going and still a belief that things could could be better. But Mike Ashley's time had really extended far beyond how it should have been. He didn't even want to be there for a large part of that and was actively looking to sell, but only at his own price. And there was a, yeah, there was a lot of anger within the club. Steve Bruce is a very unpopular appointment. Newcastle were ticking along, but it was, a, it was a term that Steve Bruce used earlier this season and it became used as a sort of ironic chant back at him because it, it perfectly summed up <laughs> Newcastle under Mike Ashley. And, we, and Newcastle are in the, the system... The, the, the situation, sorry, that they are now because of Mike Ashley's doing it. They, they were gradually, uh, they had a side that came from the championship, which they barely improved, and they were gradually getting diminishing returns from an aging squad. And it's really caught up with them now, which is why the new owners are having to try and uh, do a rescue act mid season to try and keep them up. But all of this makes it such a compelling proposition to to be Newcastle on, on Football Manager. And, and again, I can't stress enough, it's not quite as easy as it looks. Um, you have the option to start the game with £200 million of spending money. Or alternatively, you can turn transfers off until January for a more realistic, but ultimately more horrifying experience. <laughs> You know this football club so well. It's not just the players that need to be updated, is it? Everything's gone stagnant. Yeah, I mean, what is perhaps more incredible than than when you look at the playing squad is I don't think that, that people necessarily understand how paired back the whole structure was under Mike Ashley. Lee Charnley, the former managing director, was the only member of the board for the, for the last few years. So he was the only executive level employee Newcastle United had even going away from football for a business that turns over 175 million pounds a year whatever Newcastle do to only have one director that would be incredible we had four people on the board at Muddy Knees Media <laughs> well exactly quite and so and so Mike Ashley who was the owner wasn't even he'd stepped back from the board in uh, in 2015 he wasn't directly involved in the day-to-day running although all big decisions uh, had to be run by him certainly financial ones so you, you have that the, the training ground Newcastle under Joe Kinnear when he was director of football. Yes, Joe Kinnear was not only appointed Newcastle manager by Mike Ashley, he was was appointed director of football. He promised in 2013 that Newcastle were going to have a new training ground. Those plans were eventually shelved and have remained shelved ever since. So they've they've got the same training ground as they've had since about 2003. And that training ground really isn't purpose-built. It's a sort of converted sports centre. And that really needs raising and, and rebuilding or they need to move somewhere else. The academy hasn't had the investment that it needs. Newcastle don't produce the players that historically the ones did. You, you, you think that, that Newcastle in the northeast East has produced so many players over the years. Paul Gascoigne, Chris Waddle, all these players who came through Newcastle's academy. And yet really... Over the last 10, 15 years, there have been very few. And then the stadium, as impressive as it is, has barely had more than a lick of paint, really, over the course of the last 10, 15 years. It hasn't had the upgrade that it needs. And so you've got pared down staffing levels. You've got infrastructure that's been allowed to stagnate. And then obviously a playing squad, which really hasn't been strengthened to the degree it needs. Apart from that, everything's (laughs) tickety-boo. 
All right, let's talk about the playing squad. The, the, the new owners have chosen to focus first on a right back and then on a striker. Uh, do you think that's the right move? The Q and Trippier deals are an interesting one because I think he's a very good first signing in many ways. But equally, there's an irony about it's probably the one position that they weren't, they didn't need to do absolutely immediately because Javier Manquillo is playing reasonably well there. They have options there who, who can who can play there, and so really what they needed was a centre back and a striker immediately. They couldn't get either of those first through the door. But Q and Trippier, given his gravitas, given the fact he's come from. Having just won La Liga, started the Euro 2020 final for, for England against Italy, experienced at national level. The idea was that if Kieran Trippier comes, hopefully other prominent names who maybe were sitting on the fence will follow. So I think Kieran Trippier improves Newcastle in so many ways and so it makes sense to that. But in terms of actual positions, they need the strength and right back, possibly not. Striker was an absolute must once I mean it really that they wanted a striker anyway but they were probably looking and they, they probably will sign another one if they can a younger sort of striker for the longer term but when Callum Wilson was injured against Man United on December the 27th and it, at that point it was clear he was going to be out for all of January but it, we didn't know that stage it was at least eight weeks from now until he comes back and Newcastle have only scored 19 goals in 21 games under Eddie Howe they've only scored seven and nine and against Cambridge United at the weekend of, of League One, third-tier Cambridge United. Newcastle, particularly in the first half, had a heck of a lot of opportunities. They put 41 crosses into the box across the course of the game. They played various different uh, players out of position at centre-forward. Alan Saint-Maximan, Jacob Murphy, Ryan Fraser, Joe Linton, the £40 million centre-forward, who they've now converted into a defensive midfielder, also played there for a little bit. And so, striker was... Absolutely imperative. And although Chris Wood is far from the sexiest name out there, and I think a lot of people have, have looked at it with a bit of derision, it makes sense in so many ways that Newcastle can bring in a Premier League-ready player, someone who hasn't been in great form this season, but Newcastle have looked at for quite a while, directly weakens one of their relegation rivals, gives them that focal point ahead of Watford, was available, they were able to go and do the deal. And so in that sense, in a January window that's always difficult enough anyway and was described to me by someone in recruitment circles about three or four weeks ago, Newcastle facing one of the most difficult transfer windows in the history of any club because of all the unique challenges they face. I think that they've done pretty well so far. Yeah, let's talk about that because you wrote a piece for The Athletic. It was absolutely brilliant. I really hope it was you now. I've said it was really brilliant. Um, But marking out how it's... Because on Football Manager, you just identify the players you want, you set up the fee and the wages, they either take it or they don't, but, you know, usually they do. But it's all different here now because you've got a situation, well, I mean, you explain it best, the the problem with having infinite money, but when you're in the relegation zone. Yeah, so Newcastle, in the, I mean, the, the quote-unquote richest club in the world is what, what keeps being touted as, as what Newcastle United are on. In theory, that I mean, they do have the wealthiest owners in terms of, the potential resources they have at their disposal. But it was made clear to me and others in Newcastle when the owners first came in that this isn't just, they're not just going to come in and absolutely throw money at this. This isn't going to be sort of Chelsea level early spending, even Man City level to begin with. They want it to be, to a degree, some level of organic growth. And really, they're going to spend more this January window than they intended to do when they first took charge. And that's because Newcastle's position has become increasingly perilous in the Premier League. The issues they have is that you go to, that I know of, of several examples where they've gone to clubs and not only are you getting the January premium of uh, trying to sign a player in the in the middle of the season. There is also a Newcastle premium for many clubs. So there might be one price for one club and, and a different price for Newcastle because they're seen as this moneyed club. But then you also put that into wages that players ask for, agent fees. And so that increases 
the fees even more. And then you have hostility from some Premier League clubs who don't want to deal with Newcastle. There's so much animosity about it all. There's some clubs who would love to see Newcastle go down this season because they're still annoyed about the, the takeover that happened. And then you factor in that Newcastle are second bottom of the Premier League and have won once all season. And so if you're a player sitting number and Arnold, a lot of players I've heard of representatives come back and say, well, we'll either wait till the end of the window and see where you're at then and then maybe come or we'll wait until the summer and see where you're at there. And we, we may then be very interested if you're a Premier League side. And so the issue Newcastle had was they wanted players early in the window because they have massive games against Watford and Leeds, their, their two relegation rivals over the course of the next fortnight. But doing those deals early in the window is very, very difficult. So, And for new owners, without there being a director of football in place, I mentioned before about the, la- the lack of structure, Newcastle are still searching for a director of football. They don't have a chief executive in place. They're being run by owners who have never owned a football club before. The only football expertise they have on the board is Jamie Rubin, who had about a year at QPR. Beyond that, these are all novices. So they brought in Nick Hammond, who was uh, Celtic director of football previously at Reading and various other clubs, to give them some advice just because of the the unique challenges they face and and the lack of sort of uh, experience within the footballing world on the board. It's extraordinary when you I know, you know all these things and you hear all these things but when you have it all listed out like that you're still thinking how has this been allowed to happen it's one of the biggest football clubs in the country and it's been run like well don't get me started um I know you've played football manager a lot in the past um you're you're now of course in in a position where you're kind of busy with with real life stuff but if you were to take on Newcastle and football manager what what would be your grand plan sell, sell it to us what's the what's the Chris Woff way I think that first and foremost I'd want to to give something to supporters that, that, that they can get behind and I don't mean I don't want to to sort of play into the the, the sort of tired cliches which I know annoy a lot of supporters this idea that all they want they want the entertainers reborn they want this 95-96 side back and that sort of, they'll, they'll never be happy unless they have that side challenge what Newcastle, Newcastle fans want to be entertained but by that that doesn't mean that they necessarily just want a gung-ho side or they expect to have the best players they want to have a team who when they turn up every weekend they, they can get behind and be that in it they see the efforts there that they see a willingness to try and and take on the opposition when they can not just sit back and and just accept that, that they might nick a draw against some of the best teams they want to have a side that's at least semi-adventure so I think I'd try and that that's what I've uh, relating it to, to present day I mean Eddie Howe has, has, has suggested similar I mean Ed Steve Bruce to be fair as his predecessor said he wanted to do the same and never felt that he could but I'd like to I think first and foremost that's what I like to do make Newcastle a bit, little bit more progressive a team who want to have the ball a little bit more want to create opportunities as they have done in the course of the of the last few weeks but actually convert some of them which they haven't been able to do so I think I'd start I think I would almost start at the front and then and then work back uh, a lot of people will be looking at me saying well you only build a successful side if you start with a defense but you know I'm going to flip it around I'm not a proper manager I don't really know what to, how to do <laughs> I would look to, to to bring in some players who could get the best out of the likes of someone like Alan Maxima. Newcastle fans love Sam Maxima when he's in full flow and he's entertaining them. But if they can get a, a striker who he can serve as someone who can play with Callum Wilson as long as uh, as, as well as instead of him when he's injured, uh, this is no disrespect to Chris Wood, but Chris Wood wouldn't have been my first choice in that sense if I had the options of people out there. So I think, yeah, I'd start with the front and I'd try and build that first. And then, yeah, start start to work back from there. But really, get get Newcastle fans to buy into what I was trying to do. I think that think that's the way the way to do it, or virtual Newcastle United fans, as it would be in the circumstances, I suppose. Well, I'll tell you what. If you've been listening to this and you are not already 
like visibly twitching, trying to reach for your laptop to start a new Newcastle save, then you're you're a better man than me, and I've got one on the go already. Uh, Chris Woff, where can we find uh, more stuff by you? If you go onto the Athletic, search on the Newcastle United page, myself and, and my colleague George Colkin uh, doing all the Newcastle United stuff at the moment. We're getting a lot of help from our colleagues on the Athletic because Newcastle are so active and trying to sign players from other Premier League clubs. So Andy Jones has contributed to this Burnley Chris Wood piece as well. But yeah, just on the Athletic and the Newcastle United page. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck with the rest of January. Thank you. It's more than a score. It's live score. So, what's all this about then? Well, we have live score, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play. You get the latest action, stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football... It goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands. Players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. So, yeah, essentially it's a guide to exciting new saves. And where's more exciting? The Malmo in Sweden, Frida Fagerlund of Aftonbladet. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. You are the uh, English correspondent for Afton Bladder, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So for the last couple of years, you've basically had the dream job of just sort of traveling up and down the country, chasing the stories wherever they go? Yeah, I mean, that sums it up, basically. I'm really enjoying myself over here, I must say. Don't really miss Sweden that much, but maybe it will come eventually. We'll see. Well, today we are talking about Malmo in Sweden. And for those of us of a certain age, we kind of remember Malmo for being the team that Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest beat in the European Cup back in the days when that was a really interesting competition. It's also the place where Roy Hodgson enjoyed great success, wasn't it? What what did he do there? I mean, he basically revolutionised the entire Swedish football. He's a huge name in Sweden and... uh, Obviously had great success at Malmö, but the 4-4-2 formation uh, is still very much this, you know, classic Swedish model that the national team still use. And that is all down to, to Roy Hodgson, it, it really is. Malmö are doing uh, reasonably well right now, wouldn't you say? They're uh, sort of 57th in the UEFA coefficient, so that's, that's, that's not too shabby, is it? Not too shabby. Uh, they won the league title and they went to, or they got through to the Champions League. Didn't do so well there, but at the same time for a Swedish team to even reach the group stage of the Champions League is obviously very big. And the, the money you receive is also very, very important to staying on top because Malmö is by far the richest and the biggest club in Sweden right now. And for them to continue to be on top, it's very important to to get those money in every year. So what we're looking at with, with a, a football manager challenge like this is trying to keep the wheel steady, trying to keep everything going as it's been going, but looking for areas in which to improve. And we'll come to that in a moment. But for starters, who are the star players you'll get when you take over Malmo? Anders Christiansen, I would say, is by far the most important player. He's the team captain. He's been there for, for many years. He's, he tried his luck in, in Belgium and went there a couple of years ago, but came back to Malmö maybe a season later or so. He's really important. He's a central midfielder. So I would say that he is he's definitely a key player. In, in terms of other important players, it, it's quite 
special because Malmö is in the pre-season right now because they play, they, they start the season in, in April, the league starts in April and it finishes in November. So this is very much, you know, that time of the year when a lot of things happen in, in the squad. So we're not really sure what will happen. We think that this centre-back, Anel Akunahosic, who was very important last season he will probably leave for a bigger club and that means that they will have to recruit another centre-back at least maybe even two centre-backs there's also some question marks regarding the strikers Anthony Scholak was on loan from Pauk last season and they very much want to want to keep him for another season. But Pauk, they haven't really reached an agreement yet for that. So we'll see what happens. So there's a lot of question marks in the squad at the moment. So we're, we're all learning a lot here, but I think that the biggest thing we're learning is that we've all been saying the name of your club wrong. It's Malma, not Malmo. Is that right? Well, I'm actually from the south, and I think we pronounce it a bit differently compared to the rest of Sweden. But we say Malmö, almost like there's there's not a er uh at the end. It's more like a like a Swedish e. Malmö. Yeah, but Malmö is 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 correct. I I, I assume <laughs> since I'm from there. Are there any good young players coming through the ranks at Malmö? There actually is. Yeah, particularly one that I. I think it's very exciting. That's Sebastian Nanasi. He uh, recently signed a new contract, attacking player, mostly plays on the, on the left wing, I think. And he was very prominent last season. He's 19 years old and it feels like he has a very bright future. Yeah, I would say him. So getting Malmö back to where they were, challenging for a European trophy, probably going to be pretty hard for all but the most gifted football manager. But where are the areas that you could improve? How could you take them forward? Is it a case of investing heavily in youth development or just good scouting? What would you do if you're in charge? Their squad is actually quite ageing and that is an issue that they will have to address uh, sooner or later. I'm not sure if it's going to happen during 2021. It feels like, or I think that the directors feels like they can win the league title and have all the success without touching that much in the squad and maybe wait until next season. But I would say that centre-backs and a striker, that is very important. They do have good central midfielders, but they're also quite also quite old and they will have to think about maybe recruiting another one. It, when it comes to mum, it's, it's mostly about... Everyone just assumed that they're going to win the league. That's the, when when you're the new head coach. They they actually change the head coach very frequently. I think Milos Milojevic, who was appointed last week, he's the twelfth manager since two thousand or something like that. And it's just all about getting everything right and being good enough to secure the league title and these players should be able to do it to going through to the Champions League group stage that's a totally different thing that's a bonus but yeah very high ambitions at at Malmö definitely so so let's talk about Malmö itself if I am celebrating a 3-0 victory I want to go out to dinner I want something nice to drink what's the the kind of the choice of the people of Malmö well, Mama is actually mostly known for its kebab and falafel. 
They have the best kebab and falafel in Sweden, in my opinion, at least. But other than that, I, I, I would say, I would probably suggest that you go to Lilla Toy, which you could translate as Little Square, which is a very nice, very nice area. Lots of lots of bars and, and nice restaurants. So, yeah, I, I, I would tell someone to, to go there, but not now. Don't go to Sweden or Malmö in January. It's just horrible not very pleasant at all wait until may at least that's a great time <laughs> sounds good to me uh frida where can we find more about you out there on the internet oh wow i, I guess on social uh, media platforms like everyone else on twitter frida fagerlund i also write for the uh, leading swedish newspaper aftonbladet uh, and i work for the premier league broadcasters in sweden as well so basically um yeah all over the place. everywhere i guess <laughs> all over the place yeah <laughs> frida thank you so much for joining us that was it's more than a score with live score you can get real time updates and results match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the live score app and it's completely free just search for it on the app store or google play now Tired of reading rubbish stuff on the internet for free? Start paying for good stuff then. Because you're a listener to the Football Manager Show, you can get a very, very special deal on a subscription. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, just type that in right now, right now, damn it, and you will find a great price for some of the best journalism by some of the best journalists. I'm sure most of you have got it already, but just on the off chance you haven't, get it now. It's It's... It's really very good. I say, Oopy, I'll trade you this baseball for your souvenir bat. Sure. What did you learn? Yes, it's time for What Did You Learn? And joining us today, I'm delighted to say, is The Athletic's very own Holly Percival. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. You were last on telling us about a different game, weren't you? What was that? I was. I was on here talking about Valorant, which I am still obsessed with. But safe to say, I think I have become more obsessed with Football Manager now. So yeah. on the up and up, or I guess maybe the the downward spiral that is Football Manager. See, if, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, as we've just established, you damn well should be by now. You'll have read Holly talking about the fact that, I mean, Holly, you're, you're a qualified referee, you're a qualified coach, you've been, uh, for your sins, an Aston Villa fan for, for your entire life, but you'd never, ever played football manager. And for the purpose of a feature on The Athletic, you just dive straight in. And by God, I can't even begin to imagine what it felt like. Um, yeah, <laughs> to say the least, it was, it was chaotic. It was confusing and it was slightly demoralizing because I felt like I knew about football, you know, like you mentioned, I've, I've been in pretty much every aspect of football and now working in it as well. And football manager just opened my eyes to a whole new world of, of football that I really didn't know anything about in terms of making things work in so many finer details and it's it's definitely taken my world by storm and like I said I am obsessed with trying to continue to learn more in the game ah yes welcome aboard um you didn't start well for you if I'm right you lost your first game drew your second one lost your third one and that was where we got to with the first article 
yep, that sounds about right. It, it, it just didn't go well. And I, I went into the start of the season quite confident because I had won every single preseason friendly, which may be a very easy thing to do, actually. I have no idea. But I won every single game and was like, wow, this is not relatively easy, but that was pretty smooth sailing. And then the season started and it, it just plummeted to the bottom of the ocean very quickly. And I, <laughs> I lost any sense of confidence that I had began to build up while learning the game. And it never recovered, unfortunately, as, as the second piece about my football manager journey kind of went on to explain. But quite a few people weighed in to help, didn't they? They did. So after the first piece, I, I decided, because I stream in my spare time and I, I was like, I want to really stream this. I think it's probably a niche in the market for football manager fans that they don't get to watch people play football manager for the first time ever and watch their first save ever. It must be a very unique thing. And there's also pretty much no female streaming football manager at all on Twitch. So I decided to carry on with my Twitch career and do that. And not every hand was helpful. People weren't necessarily trying to throw me under the bus intentionally, but you know, some people <laughs> will have their way of playing the game and other people will have their, their way of playing it. And I've, I've learned that very quickly. Some of the signing suggestions, one of which I went through with probably wasn't the, the smartest idea I've had, but who, when who you- that was Carlos Tevez, the one and only, oh, um, to which I found out that he wasn't playable until January because he was on his holly bobs. So, uh, <laughs> that is devastating. <laughs> it was, especially when Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins just couldn't find the back of the net. I was like, Carlos Tevez would be brilliant right now. Ultimately, he never really helped. And I mean, I think he played one game, maybe two games, no, one game of my career, and then I was sacked. <laughs> So it really didn't go well. It's a funny thing, isn't it? The the FM community online. I mean, I've I've started on Twitter in 2009 and I've seen my fair share of people online and, and how awful they can be. But the FM community is really nice, isn't it? Honestly, I've said this on my stream multiple times. They are some of the loveliest people. I have made already some amazing friends through the community and people are just really helpful in in kind of helping you understand the game and learn the game because it is different to any other kind of football game and definitely that I've ever played. I've, I've never really been a huge fan of FIFA. So football, I like that Football Manager is so different to it and yeah, everyone's just been so nice. And I actually really love that they do things like showdowns where people go on and, and compete against each other and do drafts against each other. And everyone's just so lovely. And it, it's just made streaming in my spare time so much more enjoyable. What were the key things that you um, that, that you learned? I think the first thing is is to less is more. It took me ages to kind of accept that that was a thing. Once I lowered the kind of tactical instructions, we were, you know, not losing by as big a margin or, you know, we managed to pull out some draws. So I was starting to see the benefits of that. But it's also, I didn't realize how much micromanagement there is to the game. I didn't realize until about October, November in the season that you needed to make sure you rested the players. Like I just thought rest during a training week meant that they were actually rested. It doesn't. I didn't know that you needed to have like team meetings and talk to players one-on-one to keep morale up if things weren't going great. All those little things like that micromanagement of the game is is so important and it's very easy to quickly overlook those things. So I think once I got into a good routine of doing those, things started to be slightly better. But I think Villa got so beyond the point of saving that I think anything <laughs> I did was was pretty much irrelevant. So unfortunately, it ended badly. I guess the obvious question is, what now? Do you just write that off as experience and start again as Aston Villa manager or are you going elsewhere? That, I don't want to spoil too much in case we decide to do a part three. <laughs> But I, I have, if I'm honest, I've already finished out that season on that save. 
Oh, really? When? Oh, come on. You can, you can tell us where you went. <laughs> I have been, like I said, I've become obsessed and I was determined to get a new job and make a better name for myself. I even got a new suit. I changed up the color of my suit. Couldn't keep it purple after Villa sacked me. So, uh, you know, I, I got a new hairstyle and everything and I, um, I'm now at Hull <laughs> in the championship. <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too bad a drop. I've been sacked from the Premier League and struggled to get a third division job. So, right. so championship is, is absolutely fine. We're definitely going to get you to write about that. Thank you so much for coming on. Holly, if we want to find where you, you stream games, want to find you on social media, where, where do we do that? Oh, on Twitter, my Twitter handle is just Holly Percival, Holly underscore Percival. And on Twitch, my name is super original. It's Holly with two Ys, plays with two Ys. And I stream on there as, as often and as much as I can around working for The Athletic. Fantastic stuff. Thanks so much for coming on, Holly. After this, your letters. It's time for your letters. You know how to get in touch with us. I'm Macintosh at theathletic.com or Ian underscore games on Twitter. First out of the box, Dan Taken. You remember Dan, he's doing the ludicrously difficult Pentagon challenge. He says the African Champions League has been acquired. Ticked off at the first time of asking, conceding just one goal on his way to victory. He's now said goodbyes. He's left Supersport in South Africa. He's gone to Pumas in Mexico. It's a nation he's not managed before in. The first objective is to qualify for the North America Champions League. And for context, and anyone who's mad enough to try this, it took him until 2027 to get that first Champions League win. He's still got to get this one. He hasn't done Europe yet. He hasn't done uh, Asia yet. I'm fairly sure he's going to be playing this until his character is about 140. Rasmus Hasiger has been in touch. He says, I've got an idea for a new game mode. I like being a coach. I'm all about the tactics, the players and the training. My friend Sebastian loves being a sports director, signing players, staff, balancing budgets. So, My idea is simple, says Rasmus, a multiplayer game within the same club, but with different roles, same interface, only now I would never be able to access player scouting, finances or transfers, whereas Sebastian would never be able to put his top young prospect signing on the pitch, but he could sell my best player. I see a lot of great drama here. Will you make compromises, keeping your eyes on the horizon? Will you trust everyone working with you? Will you work hand in hand, a dynamic duo? Wow. Well, we know that a lot of people at SI Games listen to this, so I think you can consider your idea floated in front of the people who matter. I'm not sure if there's anyone I trust enough to have on my team in a football manager game, but there you go. James Fawcett's in touch. He's uh, just listened to last week's show, which is How Not to Fall Apart. His Burton save had been a complete disaster, so he's hit a new clean plan of attack based on books he's been reading. He's read the uh, Rigo Saki book that we've talked about, the Guardiola book that we've talked about, the Big Sam book that we've talked about, all on book club. And no word of a lie, the man has written up like a 30-page dossier on different tactical plans and included it in the email. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, my only fear now is that James has put in all this work and might not actually get a good result out of it. So James... Keep in touch. Let us know how this goes. All right. We also got a whole load of questions, which unfortunately are way beyond my level of understanding that we've forwarded to Sports Interactive to help me out with that. Welcome to the show, producer Steve. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm very happy that Frida mentioned Aned Amedzevic of Malmö. Because I signed him on my Fiorentina save and he is amazing. Right-sided Bosnian centre-back. Yeah. Young centre-back, had to replace Nikola Milenkovic, got bought by PSG. So if anyone's looking for 
that sort of profile player. He's not quick, but he's he's great. To be honest, I might be able to find a use for him at Newcastle. I'm pretty sick of Sven Botman. <laughs> bastard. Without near post corners, the man is nothing. Um, but I'm not the only one having some issues. Jason Lombos, he's written in as well, hasn't he? He has, and Jason says, um, loves the show, of course, because he knows how to get through there. He knows how the game works, basically. <laughs> Jason's currently worried about the state of his midfield. He's one of he's been too defensive in comparison to Ian's Newcastle side, because in his creative club save, he's running a 4-3-3, but instead of a deep-line playmaker on support, he's playing a halfback. Jason has also resolved to have two free eights with a Mazzala on support and an advanced playmaker on attack. So Jason says, how do I know if my midfield is balanced enough for the tactics I want to play? Is it always required to have a midfielder on defend to prevent counterattacks? Okay, well, we are Sports Interactive, and they actually did a huge favour and pointed us to an article which is co-authored by FM Grasshopper, who I'm sure you'll, you'll know and respect as I do, and Andrew Sinclair. They wrote a piece called Crafting an Effective Midfield. If you go to my Twitter feed, you'll see that I tweeted that out earlier down the timeline. So have a good read of that. But they also say, by and large, most midfield threes have one runner, like box-to-box, one passer, playmaker of some kind, and one holder, a ball-winning midfielder or defensive position. But what you opt for should be based on the abilities of the players you've got. That's not just your midfielders, but your strikers. So if you're fairly thin on the ground up top, you'll need your central midfielders to provide more of an attacking threat. Therefore, the players you keep back to provide cover might be your wide players or, or just conservative fullbacks. In order to make any assessment on your midfield and whether it's doing the job you want it to, you need to study how your players are playing. So first port call, set the team up with the midfield you're trying out. And then in the next few matches, watch either extended or comprehensive highlights. I tell you, we talk about this on the show so much. Key highlights is good for nothing. Now, obviously, time is a limiting factor here, but seeing more of the game teaches you about the build-up play your players are producing, how they're supporting your attacks, and also how your opponents are creating their chances. You'll also then be able to see how the players and roles you've chosen link up with your tactical instructions. For example, you could have a balanced midfield, but a high defensive line that leaves you vulnerable to quick direct counterattacks. There is no one size fits all approach to building a midfield in FM. One midfield approach might work well for one team and one group of players, it might not translate directly to another side. If what you've got is working for you, stick with it. But if you're defensively leaky or you're just not making enough chances, consider making some changes. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree with that anymore. Uh, apart from, again, just reiterate Watch as much of the game as you can. And when you've got the ball and you're moving past the halfway line, just press pause very, very quickly and ask yourself, if you were the player with the ball, who would you pass to? And is there an easy pass on? Is there anything there? Because a lot of the times in my worst games, I've found that people are breaking forward and they've just got no options in front of them. So learn from my mistakes. Joe Farrell's been in touch as well, Steve. Yes, and Joe says, I know that you can set up pressing tactics every game for each opponent you play, but I've been wondering, is there a way to tell your team to always press in a specific way? For example, I want to tell my Sampdoria team to always make the ball go wide and press the fullbacks. I don't have to manually do this every game in opposition instructions. I just want them to know to do it as part of our game plan. In addition, I'd like to know how you can possibly set up pressing traps. 
Is that in this year's edition? So what did SI say? SI said that the suggestion here is opposition instructions. As you said, it can be a little tiring having to set this up for every game. There is a way around this, though. Go to opposition instructions outside of a match via the tactics screen. Not many people click this button. To positions, and you can set to always press certain positions. So, for example, always press the left back or the right back. So at least you don't have to do it every single game. And this then ties into your defensive width and your overall trigger so that's nice and concise who else have we got ryan hardy has written in and ryan says i'm just wondering if you might ask si about well leeds and bielsa bielsa has in fm terms added at least three to five points onto stamina work rate and aggression onto each of the players in two seasons is something like this possible in fm i'd like to be able to do something similar with a lower league team and si say in theory yeah Player attributes, even to fully developed players, aren't set in stone, and they can adapt over time. Some attributes can decrease, allowing others to increase. If you drive your team with a specific intensive training regime, largely focusing on some core areas and individual focus, you can make gains in very specific areas. A few words of caution, though. Doing so may leave some other areas without focus, which could cause you problems. Players on lower condition, given the high intensity levels, plus a risk of some players just not adapting or becoming unhappy with such a demanding schedule. There is a reason why in the past Bielsa has had a limited shelf life with football clubs before moving on, and his training regime may well be a strong part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, a fair point. You can upset these teenage millionaires very, very quickly. Who else we got? Final letter for today comes from Mitch Grant and he says, big fan of the pod, particularly the sections with the FM development team. And I took your advice in managing Scotland and had great fun. Anyway, my question is about what hardware upgrades actually help FM22. For context, I run an old Mac Pro with a dual quad core CPUs and 96 gigabytes of RAM. It usually smashes everything that I throw at it, but I find with FM it hits its limits pretty early. It shows four stars with a large database, and until about 10 leagues are loaded, it starts dropping down after that. The question is whether FM22 can be optimized to use dual CPUs, and does it take advantage of all that RAM? I'm very tempted by one of the new Mac minis, and this might be a great excuse to get one. All right. Well, it's a good job the camera isn't on for this section of the show because it's basically just my very, very blank face at all of those numbers and words. <laughs> I, I am not a clever or educated man, but fortunately, the people at Football Manager are, and they have said, We've taken a lot of steps forward over the last few versions of FM to help improve performance. You may have noticed the speed of saving the game has dramatically increased. That's true, actually. And we've made the game 64-bit. We also fine-tune every version. We're always optimising. The underlying structure of what is Modern Football Manager was actually designed before multi-core CPUs were really a thing back in the early 2000s. But as the game has grown and been improved over the years, we've worked on some key areas to drive them by multi-core. I'm sure that's a good thing. I'm not sure what that is. Areas such as the processing of all matches and transfer decision-making, something we call shortlisting. Both are extremely intensive areas, so by focusing on these, we've been able to allow users to run more leagues and, and have more active transfer activity without major slowdowns. In part as well, the star system is a guide, so really would recommend people just to find their own level on that. Some people are happy if it takes a few seconds to come back every time you press continue. Others are happier to wait longer. Personally, says our friend at Sports Interactive, I've run games with a large database, many leagues and nations active, with one star, but I found it processes at a level that's 
that's absolutely fine for me. Remember, you can also use the FM add remove leagues command and detail level to make changes to games already started to speed up what, what you've already got active. I would add to that, as I think we've said on previous shows, sometimes you can have a great game just with one league running. Scotland is a great standalone league. We have Barry Collins on talking about doing the Welsh lower league. And you can actually run those alone and sometimes on full detail as well. So you have your sort of hyper intense enclosed experience. Um, So you'll get that through there. And from my experience, I've got a 2017 MacBook Pro that does generally sort of four to six nations at once, um, still doing three to four stars, and that's fine. And I've got a Razer 17, which, I mean, to be honest, it runs Skyrim like you're watching a movie in the cinema. So Football Manager's kind of a piece of piss for it. That was the letters page. If you want to get in touch with us, you email me, imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter at Ian underscore games. And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests today were Chris Woff and Holly Percival from The Athletic and Frida Fargoland from Afton Bladdit. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I've just checked the label in my underpants. I'm Ian McIntosh. The Athletic. <laughs>